All right, now what I'm going to do, I'll have to ask for quiet from the crowd. I appreciate that this many people showed up today for this event, but I'm going to have to ask for silence because the timing of what I'm doing now is very key. everybody it's your boy cousin oz the people's mailman back for another episode with cousin tony the architect now that was the voice of super dave osborne a fictional character played by bob einstein whose popularity rose in the 1980s now super dave's signature was to perform outrageous daredevil stunts which always went tragically wrong resulting in numerous horrific injuries ah the good old days when you could put anything on tv and not get canceled for it so since it's the beginning of season four for the cousins we wanted to do something special now we couldn't get super dave unfortunately he's no longer with us so instead we got the next best thing mr extraordinary himself the other dave aka extraordinary cards listen in as we dive into the mind of this flipper extraordinaire hey yo tone take it away cuz <laughs> All right, all right, Cousin Tone, we are back from our week hiatus, and this time we have someone special joining us. So since we're so close to Christmas, I'm going to go ahead and compare my man to the Santa of the hobby. He always comes bearing gifts of cards that all the good little boys and girls want. Of course, the only difference is you got to pay for them. They're not free. I'm referring to my man, Dave, Mr. Extraordinary Cards. Welcome, Dave, to the Cousins Collectibles Podcast. How you doing, brother? Gentlemen, thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, I heard that we're starting season three like this. Um, obviously, you've chosen the extraordinary route, although um, uh, I'll do the best I can. I'll do the best I can. That is probably as arrogant as I'll ever get. Um, thank you guys so much for letting me join. How are you guys doing? Doing good, man. Doing great. Like I said, Christmas is around the corner. So, you know, season three. We're expecting big things, and we figured why not have the extraordinary version of the podcast coming on board. So, Dave, first of all, you know, you're known for what they call, quote unquote, flipping cards, you know, bringing cards into the hobby that people wouldn't normally have access to. Um, that's completely opposite of what Tony and I do. So we want to try to get behind the psyche of it all, how it goes down. Um, you know, so basically, man, how did you get started? started and flipping like wh when did the light bulb go off like man this is something i want to try to do and get into oh that's such a good question um so i think it actually makes sense to go to the start of my sports card journey in a way because like i'm 27 i've been in sports cards now about a decade which is crazy um what's interesting about my growth in sports cards is like when i was a kid i never collected cards there's no memories of going to the hobby shop and paying three dollars for 20 packs of cards there unfortunately there's none of that stuff which is good and bad um i'd gotten into sports cards actually through um madden so i'm not sure if you guys are video game fans or anything like that but on madden you know the nfl um video game they created a mode called ultimate team and what that was basically for everyone who's not familiar with that is you open the virtual packs of cards and each player would have stats and attributes and you would build a team and you would go then and play other people online or through the computer or stuff like that. And every year with every new Madden game that comes out, the game mode resets. And I remember playing that, you know, three, four, five, six years, spending money on it um, and being like, wow, like, what's the point of this? Like, why am I doing this? Like, I might as well try and collect the actual sports card. And with that perspective and like being a little bit older when I got into it, I just realized early on, I'm like, hey, wait. If I bought this for 50 bucks at the time and someone's willing to pay me 60, 70, 80 dollars for it, like that's lunch. That's a nice dinner. I'm like a broke college kid at this point in time. Like, let me let me try something new. And I have grown to love this industry and everything that it offers um, because it really just came from a simple fact of like, oh, I can help facilitate business. I can help someone acquire something they want to own. Um, and you got to remember, too, at this point, this is like 2016, 2017, 
um, very early on on the Instagram card game, people really had great intentions. Um, there weren't as many people trying to just flip cards as soon as possible they got it it was really it was a, a genuine card community and my role in it very early on and continues to be was hey you want to own an item awesome like here is what i can do and make sure that you walk with something that you genuinely want to own so that's pretty cool man that's dope that like i said i kind of compare it like i said to santa because you're bringing the cards that people actually want you know what i mean yeah. there's there, there's cards that you have that i've seen that i'm like holy crap where did you know these are in people's collections that nobody even knows about and you're able to access these cards and make them available to the hobby which is awesome and uh you know i've gotten a couple cards from you i think tony have yeah. you gotten yep. yeah so we've both done deals with you which is you know pretty cool pretty great Man, so yeah, that that that's a pretty interesting, you know, origin story. So it's like you never really were a card collector, but here you are providing the cards that people want. Well, I wouldn't say that. I, I definitely am a collector. Um, mm -hmm. my personal collection has shifted from cards to more game worn jerseys in the last year or so, just because okay. you know, hey, if I'm gonna own something cool and I'm gonna spend my harder money to actually own it and truly never sell it. It's gonna be game one gonna be game one jerseys up there or in my closet I have to go eventually frame because ironically enough, like dude, you're spending like five, six hundred bucks, which is not a small amount of money, but like an amount of money that most people would be comfortable spending and like truly keeping off the market. I'd rather go buy a jersey of something that I think is just like more interesting and cool than anything else. Jerseys, jerseys. Now what's what's the jersey market like? Cause it's like you know, I see some that are cheap, but then you see some, you know, like Kobe Bryant jerseys or Michael Jordan jerseys. I mean, they're crazy expensive. How's that market going? Is it like compared to cards? What's the difference? I've never flipped a jersey, so I couldn't tell you that aspect. I truly have just been buying them because they're cool and interesting. Um, I can tell you for reference that I had bought and I bought a couple jerseys through Kenny Britt, um, or at least an associate of him. So he was a Rutgers player who... Um, played in the NFL for about eight or nine years. He was on the Titans, uh, the Browns, the Patriots, the Rams, I believe. Um, and I guess he was just selling off some of his collection. And I purchased three jerseys through him in the last week or two that totaled up to like $900. And it was like players that you've heard of before. Like Mohamed Sanu, he went to Rutgers. Like that's mm -hmm. truly an item I'll never get rid of. But also like Jared Cook, he was a pretty good tight end for about a decade. And Duke Johnson, Duke Johnson was pretty decent like those are very capable good solid nfl players and a game worn jersey of them that had that was given to them by an nfl athlete was 300 bucks each give or take like dude to yeah. me it just like made sense to pick up i'd rather own those and like keep those in my collection than oh here's a fourth year patch auto of insert player here insert quarterback here whatever else it's gonna be um when it comes to inventory to buy and sell and trade, yeah, I mean, that stuff is, I'd rather own that, like truly own it than have a, a collection of just stuff that every single day, it seems like as our industry moves forward, um, does continue to drop in price, which is a whole different conversation I'm sure we're going to get into. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Hey, you mentioned the the Madden thing. I laughed because uh, I played for a long time. Uh, right. I forget whatever the, the last one. I haven't played in the, the new generation stuff, but yeah. I often used to laugh. I'm like, man, we're paying 60 to 80 bucks for just a freaking roster update. And then yep. we all bitch about how much the game sucks and stuff like that. But it's gotten worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, with all the like, like, you, I mean, you mentioned the, you know, we talk about cards, how, you know, people, some people see it as a waste of money you know, if it's retail or stuff like that. I mean, you're talking about all the downloadable content now that they're selling and, and things like that and cars and all that stuff for those games, man. It's, it's like an endless pit of, of money, man. It's, yep. It's wild. So with, with the, with the buying and selling stuff, you work with percentages. We always hear, you know, you're buying at this, selling at that. Yep. What, what are kind of like your target numbers that you're trying to acquire at and then in turn moving same, the same product for so it's so interesting that you mentioned that because as Instagram has grown and, and really my experience is just Instagram. I mean, you can definitely grow a quote unquote business through Facebook or Twitter slash X if you really want to. Um, but in my opinion, Facebook sucks. Um, Facebook just seems to have like the the bottom, the bottom of the barrel of individuals sometimes when depending on the Facebook group you're in, 
um, is it's entertaining. Um, but if you ever feel dumb about yourself, just go read through some Facebook comments. You'll feel better. Um, Instagram has a mix of people my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older, who at least are enough of a tech savvy individual to be like, oh, hey, like I have items I want to sell and trade. And oh, okay, cool. Um, I think when it comes to percentages, it has shifted. So back in the day, 2016, 2017, 2018, before genuine like hype beast influencers or those who just like saw only the money. Because once again, my experience from cards does come from love and it always will. But I've I've grown with the times as you have to do, of course. Um, the buying percentage was genuinely like 75 to 80 percent. Um, it seems to have shifted slightly higher to like 80 to 85 percent if you really want to acquire good inventory. But when it comes to the math behind it, I always like to use the equation of like, oh, it's a hundred dollar card or oh, it's a thousand dollar card, let's say, for a better example. Like you can pay a little bit higher on that thousand dollar item. You can pay eight hundred dollars, even possibly up to eight fifty if it's super duper liquid, because after your shipping fees and taxes and everything else, you'll still net out fifty to a hundred dollars, give or take. Um, if you could sell it at full percentages, if not, then maybe you're making 30 to $75, but on an item that's a little bit smaller, quote unquote, like a hundred dollars, like, Hey, if you're paying 85% on that item and shipping and taxes and everything else, you make three to $10. Is that worth the risk to some people who can move volume of 50 to 75 to hundred of those items a day or a week? Yeah, you can. But unfortunately um we seem to be in this very interesting spot these days where companies or businesses that run repacks are buying anything and everything they possibly can that's under 500 dollars, and that seems to be a very good sweet spot to be in this this um these days these weeks because a lot of people are hurting financially and you have to just adapt um i would love to have a collection i would love, I'd love to have an inventory that was five to 25 K in items, but people aren't really comfortable spending that money anymore. And, and I don't blame them. I think you just have to understand that like people are pulling their money out of sports cards, which makes complete sense. This is a luxury hobby. Uh, it's not, it's not a life. You have other things you have to worry about. And I think now that the sweet spot to be in today is that $100 to maybe thousand dollar range. And you know what? And on that inventory, you can pay 75, 80%, maybe up to 83, 85 if you get good stuff back. And then you can turn around and sell it to a repacker at 85 to 90% because they just need that stuff. And it just, it's an ecosystem that has finally found, I think, some level of balance, at least in that buying aspect. Gotcha. And when, when you're buying cars, do you find it like, say, like a person has a single card to sell? Yep. Do you find that negotiation tough where you you almost tend to be like, hey, do you have other cards so that we can kind of make it make sense yeah. a little bit? Because I'm like on a single card, it's probably tough to get to the number that's going to work for both parties. So how do you navigate that? I think you you nailed it correctly. Like, dude, if you have one item that you want to sell, like, hey, this is the flat rate I can do. Like if you're selling me five to 10 to 25 items, like, yeah, obviously we can work better. But in some instances, like if, if you're going to be the hard ass on the first item and like we're just not going to get anywhere, it, the negotiations are going to go south quickly. Um, I'm someone who probably 80 to 85 percent of the people I deal with are repeat customers, either buying from me, selling from me, trading with me. Like you both have bought cars with me in the past. Like I will just, if we're friends, like we're all comfortable like being like adults, like, hey, I bought this for five hundred dollars. Give me five seventy five. And like that genuinely works. <laughs> like it's so interesting that like the negotiating is when you have people who are willing to be humans being human beings about things. It just works quicker and like everyone can walk away feeling comfortable and like happy with how things worked. If you're just trying to beat someone up over every single dollar, or every single percentage, you might win in the short term, but like they will find someone else to negotiate with and, and that person will have better success long term. Let me ask you about that. Like how often do you run into the type of people that you just spoke of that want to win at every cost as opposed to the ones that are just trying to get, you know, the. Uh, uh, the best deal possible, but are willing to work with you. Like what are the percentages in the hobby? Do you think like the money grubbers as opposed to the people that, you know, will work? 
I think it's one of two people. It's either a young teen who's like just getting into the sports car world, like wants to learn, maybe was watching insert influencer here who you're not a fan of and like thought that like, that's just how real life is. And like, just tries to like act that way. Or it's an older individual who like does not use social media, does not care. And like probably bought too much stuff. And like, it's over leveraged to like, yeah, dude, like I paid a grand for this. I can't take under a grand. Meanwhile, comps for, $500. So it seems to be one of those two groups. Um, percentage wise, I can't, I don't, I don't know, maybe 5% or 10% of DMs I get are usually unreasonable people. Um, at this point now, after being on Instagram for eight years, which is crazy to say, give or take, like, I can definitely be a hard ass, but I'm, I'm always going to be fair. Like negotiating is difficult only when it has to be. If you can be a human being about things in person or online, like usually you can reach a resolution where everyone's like, hey, like this was good. Like we made a deal. Like you got the cash you needed for this item or you sold and traded something. And I walked away with cash and a new car to own that I can sell down the line. And, and that's usually how I want transactions to be. That's exactly how I like to, transactions to be. I, you know, I was going through this type of thing, trying to do a deal, move up move some cards and get some, get some money and, you know, try to get a, a grill that I was trying to acquire. So, you know, I went through a little bit of everything. You had somebody that was willing to work with me, you had some other people that weren't. So it, it runs the gamut when you're trying to do that. So I, I can really, you know, relate to what you're talking about. Now you talked about like the market and where it's at right now. Um, you know, since business has been slow, the market has gone down. Have right. you seen an increase or has it, has it gone down for you personally? Uh, I was prepping my taxes for the next year. Uh, I probably did 40 to 50% online less sales. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Once again, I don't do sports cards full time. This is a hobby. This is a side business. Hashtag hustle that I, I truly love. I'm really like, grateful to have this opportunity. I never want to do it full time because I know that like, dude, if this market hits a true bottom or like it just falls out. As a person, I'm like, oh, cool. I can collect the items I want. I can buy the jerseys I want or the cards of like that player who was really cool. And like, it would be like, oh, I can afford those. Those are cool. I'm happy to never put that money back into this industry. Or if it goes back to like 2020 hype cycles financially, it's like, oh, cool. Like we, we all made money. Hooray. Awesome. Um, given the current state of things where things are trending downward, that's where like you just have to be aware of things and adjust. Um my goal always is just to turn stuff over. Um, and there's a way to do it. I mean, if I really truly wanted to, I could just buy the most stereotypical like Bowman Chrome autos right now because we're in the middle of the winter. I have to sell in like March or, or April when like that player either debuts and everyone overpays as, as much as they possibly can or, or just wait a little bit longer. And then as we get to like the springtime, just buy football stuff, more specifically quarterbacks, wait for the national and then just sell off there, which is probably going to what I'm going to do because the football market, for instance, dude, I'm not sure how much you guys pay attention to the NFL outside of the Eagles. Everything is down except for like Brock Purdy. Um, <laughs> and even then his prices have not come down a ton only because he's playing like an MVP candidate in one of the weirdest uh, quarterback seasons we've seen in quite a long time. Mm -hmm. That's fair. We're down on Brock Purdy. <laughs> what you guys get <laughs> no i'm saying i said we're, we're down I'm, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, um let me ask you though I, before i get to do you ever educate a buyer where you know like he he could be coming at you and maybe offering way too adam in a crazy world he offers more than what you're even asking for do you ever sit back and be like yo dude or, or maybe someone comes to you and says hey dave i'm looking to start flipping and, and i want to buy 20 cards from you and, and I want to put this much into it. You're like step back. We can be like, yo dude, pump the brakes a bit, a little bit. Let me explain to you how this works. And, and before you, you start, you know, jumping into the deep end. I definitely have given knowledge for free, whether it's through the soul to early podcast or even dude, like at our car, like the Dallas card show, which um, I set up at every single time I'm from New Jersey. I fly down there. I have a table on the front wall. Like there have been people who do not collect cards who like do want to learn and like I'm willing to have those conversations now. Am I willing to get in the weeds and talk about like flipping cards and like the details and percentage behind that? 
maybe at a, a high level, but like, I'm not going to sit down for half an hour and be like, hey, here's everything you need to learn. Yeah. What I what I would say and what I do say a lot of is like, find the individuals who like do not like tell you what to buy. Find those who are willing to show you like, oh, this is how I did and like want to show you how to do it because you cannot copy that exact instance when it's recorded and like highlighted. Man, I flipped this car for $500 right here and here's why. You take the part of that where it's like, oh, wait, this is what I did. I researched it. I saw an opportunity. And that's how this is repeatable. Um, and I think there's a lot of knowledge that is shared as my screen goes black. That's cool. All right, we're back. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for someone to learn. But, like, don't fall into the hype cycle. Understand, like, where people are zigging, you have to zag. And and the way that I've always tried to show that and the way I explain to people is be two sports cycles ahead. And I kind of touched on that for a second there where like, hey, you know, if it's the winter time right now and like Bowman just came out, oh, I'm going to go buy Bowman Chrome of guys who are in like double A AA or triple A at the moment in time. Because, hey, if we're in <clears throat> spring training or like the very early parts of April and that guy gets called up, oh, he's that card is gone immediately. <laughs> um, and then, oh, as as baseball season and interest wanes. Oh, wait, we're in April and May. Oh, I can go buy football because the season's over. And oh, quarterback hype always seems to sell at the national. Let me go grab a couple of quarterbacks who have not gotten their chance to sell yet. And then before week one, when they're running on the field, you sell everything. You don't own it. Um, and I think that knowledge, dude, like can save you. Or that that just summary right there is 80% of what you need to know about flipping or buying sports cards in general. So is it really that predictable day? Like, you know, yeah. we, we talk, it really is. It's like, it boggles my mind sometimes. It's, it's, it's like, here it is. It's a real, real cookie cutter. If you do this, this, and this, A, you know, plus B equals C. So it really is that predictable with the card market. In terms of like, not, there's no such thing as a guarantee, obviously, but like in mm -hmm. terms of like understanding how group think works in this industry, yes. Because everyone wants to feel like like the hype is better than production. And I've said that for years. If you truly can step away from that cycle, you will do well because if you're able to buy earlier and then wait and be patient, the price will reflect that. I want to own no football cards during the football season unless I start get, unless I start buying them like now because guess what? Every quarterback you want to own is most likely down from from week 1. Either because they played poorly, they got hurt, or some combination of them. Because every single quarterback we talk about, Joe Burrow, hurt. Uh, T-Law got hurt and was like, okay. Mahomes is down. Mahomes is probably the best quarterback in terms of talent right now in the NFL. And, like, has the Super Bowls. And, like, you would imagine, like, is on the Hall of Fame trajectory if not already there. Like, that's the guy you'd want to own. That's the gold standard. And his prices are down. Like, we're not even talking about like it had Panini released products for CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and Will Levis, like their their prices would be insanely high. Um there are opportunities if you want to buy football now of those quarterbacks who you can and you were able to be patient for what is it, seven months, six and a half months, mm -hmm. you can make money and like you could do pretty well selling into the national hype. Um, I would even tell you not to sell the national per se, because every single person in that room wants to dump their football. The trick truly is, and as simple as it sounds, be one step too early, not one step too late. You want to make people believe if you're selling those items that are really, truly nuclear hot, that they can go up even higher. They want to believe that if you sell off and you leave a little profit on the table, you will win and, and win in terms of like making financial like good decisions, you will win much, much more than everyone else around you. Good stuff there. That actually has, that ties into what I was going to ask you. I said, you know, kind of, have you ever moved a card where you thought, damn, I sold it for that much, either a high or a low, something like that? Would, yeah. Like, I really try not to, not that I'm like, oh, I'm so successful. Look at me at all this right. flip they do. Like, I'm like, hey, like, I I've definitely have screwed up and sold cards too early such as the podcast name like so too early ha 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 so funny um i don't think about that type of stuff not because like oh man i was so pissed i sold it too earlier man i sold the card at the right time so smart it's like you know it just it's how it goes you could buy stuff too early and sell it too late or you could buy it too late and sell it too early or any combination of the pair and you just you just work with it like i've lost thousands of dollars on cards before 
I've made thousands of dollars more. It's it works. It just balances itself out, and like you can't get caught up in the individual deals. You you just have to look at it as a grand scope and like, oh, have I done well in this industry? And the answer is yes. Based on that, when you do your business, are you dealing with collectors or more so people that are trying to you know flip cards? and not hold long-term. So where are the collectors at? You know what I mean? Are you really dealing yeah. with collectors? Or are you dealing with people that are just like looking for the next flip? I question that every single day. I think I mentioned that on our last episode. Like I don't truly know who collects anymore. And and that's scary. I mean, I, I imagine I'm a collector, but like I'm a collector of, I guess, jerseys, I guess not really cards. So maybe I'm part of the problem too. And maybe me being self-aware is a good thing. Maybe it's not. Um, but no, I would say... Most of the people I deal with are not collectors, and I don't really know who collects anymore, and that is scary. Um, I more understand the ecosystem of if I'm buying cards from someone and then someone buys those cards from me, they are most likely going to end up in either like a Backyard Breaks repack or, or something like that, and then the cycle continues because we can get into – the, the repack system more in depth, but the summary is if I sell item to repack company who puts it in a repack, the person who is degenerately opening them will then bring it to a card show, sell it, and then it will somehow back end up in like another repack. Like that's how the money turns over in this industry because repack companies in these industries, if they disappear tomorrow, whether you like them or not, if they disappear tomorrow, card values would drop 40%, in my opinion, like almost instantaneously. There's so much liquidity they offer, good, bad, or otherwise, that like we need them. And, and they've really ingrained themselves in this industry. And whether that's a good thing or not does not matter because it's unfortunately kind of true right now. So talk to me about the repacks. Like wh what are these repacks containing? Like I, I guess they got like one hit and then the rest is – I mean like I'm not really too familiar with it. How do these repacks work? So I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you I'm the most familiar with it either because I have no affiliation with anyone. I don't work with anyone. This is my perspective. Um, I would imagine based on the price point, you might have someone. Um, I know Platinum Card Breaks used to do a repack. They, they probably still do um, where it was like a case of cards. It would have like five boxes and you would buy a team. And then based on the team and like the hit associated with it, you would get obviously those cards, like a group break, mm -hmm. um, a backyard I don't know what they do. I don't follow backyard breaks at all. Um, I know Layton, Layton Sports Cards, because I'm friends with some individuals who work on that team. In fact, I'm friends with Lane, who actually builds their almanac, which is a repack. And I've seen the numbers behind it, and I've seen like what he does. And it, honestly, I trust them more than anyone else because I was able to actually see the numbers behind it. And they are pretty straightforward. Hey, there's 10 cards in this box or this case break whatever it would be called for them and we do a live hit draft and the ceiling might be this and the floor might be this but for your price point which is right in the middle hey you'll do you might lose a little bit of money or you might have the potential to gain a little bit more and like that neutral kind of price point is appealing and i understand why because dude you look at the box prices of a panini or tops product whatever it is it's fucking outrageous and you are almost guaranteed to lose money every single time like if you opened I mean, what's a good example you open like prism football like what are the odds you hit like a random running back auto and like a, a, a purple parallel of like an offensive lineman pretty high compared to like what you could hopefully hit uh which is a quarterback auto for instance or like something kind of rare and expensive that's not qb which is not that common um it's scary, and I understand the appeal of these repacks because your floor on a good one is so much higher than opening a case, or opening a box of sports cards in general, which is upset. I know it's so crazy how it's it's like a losing proposition, man. The second you take it off the shelf, yep, like you're literally walking with an L in the bag as you're going yeah. to the register, like. Like it's it's all gambling, like and, and that's fine because we are willingly choosing to, to gamble in that aspect. But it's just whether you like repacks or not, the thing they offer, good repacks offer, is hey, you will lose money, but you will not lose nearly as much money as 
that box of cards you might buy from your hobby shop or from Target if you're if you're buying retail, mm-hmm. which is fine. And your ceiling, if you hit like the card, yeah, you'll make money. You won't make a hundred thousand dollars from playing a Mac Jones Prism Black rookie. Um, shout out to the the, the kid who did that. Right. That kid is the businessman of the year, by the way. Or yeah. it might have been last year. That's Oz's hero. He he referenced that kid a couple of times. <laughs> Dude, that first off, that kid is the smartest. I think he was like ten or ten or thirteen. I don't remember the exact age, but like that kid crush it. I'm very happy that um he did not sell that card too early. He he did perfectly yeah, fine. Right on time. I would imagine. Um yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. Um especially when you don't it's such a weird dynamic we're in these days, man. And good, bad or otherwise, the fact that we have to acknowledge it and we are so ingrained with these repacks today is it's scary. Um we'll see how things turn out in the new year. I could I could not tell you how I think this industry will look um a year from today. It might be worse, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. That's um yeah, you, you're getting pretty good at this because actually I'm gonna pivot Oz um on this question. Show vibes. You you're you're pretty upfront on your podcast and we'll, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about your podcast later, but thank you. You you're pretty good about talking about the show, the, the vibe of the show, the people at the show, how, how the, the, the vendors are kind of feeling or, or the customers. So just talk to me about what, what kind of what you're seeing right now. And I mean, obviously you said, you know, you don't know what it's going to look like a year from now, but just what what's going on out there. Shows are always going to be, in my opinion, the best way to move items because Hey, none of us want to pay taxes. Let's just call it what it is. Like I, I will cut through the fat and just say the truth out loud. Um, it's also easier to negotiate, obviously, in person versus online. You can read someone's body language. You can read their tone. It's also just easier to communicate as human beings. Um, shows are interesting. Um, I was at a 40-table local show here in New Jersey um, Friday and Saturday, uh, recording Sunday, so this was the last two days. Um, Friday was was busy. It was actually a very busy show on that Friday. Um, I moved like five grand worth of stuff selling and trading. It was It was very nice. Yesterday was was slower because it was a kind of nice out. People did not want to be there on a Saturday morning, but I still have two grand worth of stuff. Like that's a pretty good weekend, um, especially in twenty twenty three standards. Because my inventory now is a lot of one hundred to five dollar things. Not because I I can't afford more. I'm hashtag poor. It's like no, dude. You you just have to adapt to the market. Um, I think going into the new year, though, what I will say is the first major show of the year, I believe, is the Dallas Card Show. I expect that show to be incredible. I think people are ready to kind of get out again. You know, major shows have not been happening for the last couple of weeks because of the holidays, and you should probably spend time with, like, your loved ones. I know that's horrible to say, but, like, cards are not everything. Like, being around your family and loved ones, if, you, if you're able to and, and can, is, is much more important. Um, and I think that show will be very exciting. Um, looking back on, on the last year's show vibes, I think the last few were – cautious i think people were a little afraid um obviously those who have uh, a lot more money and more financial security are like still buying the, the the grails and like spending absurd money because to them it just it's it's discounted items <laughs> like prices that have gone down 40 50 and and they can flip it and move it on that higher scale are just like they're crushing it they're having a lot of fun but to the average and above average collector i think there's a lot of like oh like this is Instead of making ten grand on this show, I made three. Okay, like uh, I, I still made money. That's good, but like uh, this is this is getting a little scary here. Especially if you do this full time. Which if you do this full time, I think you either have to look and pivot for new opportunities, like in the low end space, or you just have to improve your volume, which is I think tied into the first part. I, I often wonder about those guys, that, you know, doing this full time. Man, it's like man. We, I mean. I guess if if you've been at it for a while, you, you've seen the, the you know the roller coaster stuff going up and down. Yep. But uh, you know, I often wonder the guys that have been in 2020 till now doing it full time. It's a big dose of uh, reality. Now, do you think you'll you'll slow down your your show, like the shows you're going to attend for next year, or just kind of keep it keep it as is? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, the Dallas Car Show happens six times a year. It's like every six to eight weeks, give or take. Um, is that too much? It sets the baseline for the calendar. Like I, I don't do this full time. Um, I do, I do have a life, and like I like to 
have some level of balance, but the Dallas card show, especially because I have a table now in my name, is can't miss. Um, I have to go. I want to go. I love that show. Um, it, it probably is too much, but it, it does set the show calendar. And in my opinion, it's like, oh, cool. I could travel to Dallas again, or I could wait a week and go to this show or that one. Um, there are a lot of – it makes it feel like, oh, if I can't go to the Del Mar show in San Diego, oh, but it's okay because two weeks from now I'll be in Dallas making sales and trades. Like, it's okay. Um, it lets me balance out, like, living my life and knowing that, oh, okay, I'm going to be gone this weekend in January and this weekend in February and then, like, oh, in March I'm doing this. Um, I think you can kind of fill out your calendar if you're someone who is able to afford and financially can do this and make money with it. Um, I probably will travel to, I don't know, six to ten shows this year between Dallas, um, Burbank, which I will always attend, and probably some other filler ones. But, like, at a minimum, it's going to be all the Dallas card shows. Gotcha. Do you feel like people almost when they go to that Dallas card show or Burbank show where they get into the mindset that like, I need to do something as opposed to a, a local show or maybe like a, I don't know, like uh, the Hofstra show was just uh, last week yep. uh, where a person just because of the name of the show feels that they if they don't transact or if they're not more flexible that they're just it's a total waste of time. Do you think that the big name of, oh, I'm at Dallas means that I got to do you know, something just so yeah. I can go home and have a story to tell. Yes. I think there is something to it, especially if you're traveling out. If you're traveling out of the state and you're flying in and you're not setting up, you are there to make business happen. Whether you are selling or trading, you are not going home empty handed because then you just spent a grand to 1500 bucks for nothing. Quote unquote. <laughs> um, it's so interesting because have either of you guys been to the Dallas car show or no? Not yet. yet. Okay. So the way I would describe it as it's, it's basically two shows. Um, not only because like they have separate rooms, like the main the main room and like the starlight room, but like if you're a vendor, you're setting up like you are there from like I think sat- I think Friday is like nine a.m. to eight p.m. It's a long day. Like that's how long the show's open. Then everyone goes and gets dinner, and then trade night happens, dude. Trade night could take you from eight p.m. at night to four a.m. if you really really wanted to. And, like those who do not set up, like that is their show. <laughs> Um, there are people who like steal tables and chairs. They bring showcases out and like set up a trade night and it's fucking crazy. Like if you really want to hashtag grind, you could hashtag grind into the hashtag ground by doing stuff like that. Um, and maybe I'm, I'm, a, I'm older. Maybe I'm like not really interested. Maybe I'm like comfortable cause I'm a dealer. I have so little interest in going to the trade nights these days. Because it just like it wears you down and it's it's just so crazy. But if you're not a vendor, you don't have that opportunity, like that's where you make your money. Because people will buy and sell and trade at Trade Night and they'll do very, very well. There are dealers I know who are willing to put the work in and will make more money at the trade night than the actual show, which is crazy. But the the power dynamic shifts um at those trade nights from the vendors and the dealers who are set up all day to the customer and, and that's great because they're able to make it financially beneficial for them. But it's, it's a lot, dude. It's, it's so, it's a lot of work if you end up doing the full show and then train it for more than like an hour yeah. or two. More power to them. Yeah. 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 I can't, <laughs> I don't want to do it. Yeah. But sometimes you got to do it. Like you said, the grind is a grind. So that's the only way you could do it. You got to make it happen. Now being a mailman, I work way too damn much. So I don't have access to, as many shows as I would like to go to Dallas Burbank, you know, those are pipe dreams for me right now. Yep. Um, so most of what I do is on eBay. So you mentioned on one of your latest podcast episodes that you weren't buying on eBay anymore because it's setting you up for failure. You know, me Correct. being a collector, I see a card up, you know, I like a card, I'll buy it, whatever. You're in a total different mind space. So what do what are your thoughts behind that? So in terms of being a vendor and a dealer, um, people, have become NPCs. Um, I genuinely believe that 20% of the people who come up to my show at a table could possibly be a computer because um, they will walk up. They will not say hello. They will go with their phone, scan the PSA or BGS cert for a card for check all or, or car ladder. But the last sale the hundred dollars. Could you do 80? I'm like, no, I bought that on eBay for 95. 
that last sale is me. That's why it's stickered at 125 and I expect to haggle a little bit. But no, if you're checking the comp on every single card, like, dude, what are we doing here? Um, that's why I have really pivoted to strictly private sales only because y you you are competing against yourself there. And even if you're buying on a Golden, a PWCC, an Alt, a Leland's, whatever, maybe not Leland's, I don't know if Leland's actually is data tracked, but if you're buying on these common auction houses or eBay, you just compete against yourself because individuals just cannot think besides, I have to pay this percentage. And that's where I think people are actually kind of computers in a way because they, they just don't have the ability to think. Um, and that's where the conversation kind of feeds into, do I think people collect anymore? Mm, I don't know. Now, that's if you're talking about a common card, if you're talking about a LeBron James 2012 Prism or 2022 Prism, let's say, for instance, actually a better example. Um, yeah, I mean, don't buy those on eBay. Don't bid on those in general. But I understand why you have to pay a certain percentage on that. But more like patch autos, on-card autos, stuff that like is actually like has some collector value. Yeah, you can't do it, man. Like we can't pay 80% on the item I clearly just won on auction a week and a half ago. Like you, you got to negotiate a little better. Uh, that's that's always the conundrum, man. It, like you said, you, you're you're competing against yourself, so you you don't want to set that comp because you know as soon as you set that comp, it's automatically going to drop by twenty percent once you go to try to sell it. You know, Correct. so it's like you want to try to do everything behind the scenes in the ether, so no one's aware of what what you actually paid for that. But it's tough. It's tough. It is no, dude. There's no balancing it. Um, that's the trick. Where if you are buying higher end stuff. You're buying higher end stuff. You you can set the comp, especially if it's rare, and then ask whatever you want within reason. Because then that the higher end stuff is more collector pieces, um, and you can kind of finagle that and work accordingly. Um, it it's so everything here is more of a general statement. There are obviously specific examples that I can't even think of where like it changes, but generally that is my opinion and experience of buying cards online and like trying not to set my own comp. <laughs> Heaven forbid someone makes a profit. Like, like yeah, yeah, wait, you want to make money in this economy? How dare you? <laughs> um, what's so funny is that I had grabbed over the weekend, a Anthony Davis, one of one from eminence, the 75th, 75th year anniversary auto. Mm. And it's awesome. It's such a gorgeous card. I love those. And cards. there's a comp on the to three version. It did um thirteen fifty. Like oh, okay, cool. I'm gonna put it on eBay at five. The, the one I want on eBay, five k best offer, and just wait because I think it's worth like twenty two to twenty five hundred bucks. But hey, it's a one of one, and the seventy fifth anniversary is very appealing. And the to three did thirteen, so come with a reasonable offer and you'll own it. Good luck. Hey, you can't comp that one. That's that's a nice one to own. Hmm. <laughs> That's wild. Before I, I before I get to my last question, talk to us about about your podcast, man. What you got you and Kai do over there, dude? I love Soul Too Early. It's so interesting to me. Um, I, it it really is just like there's no character, there's no BS. It's just two friends going on a podcast, talking for half an hour to an hour on just like random sports card, either hobby stuff or random shit in general. Um. It just is a way to put things into perspective because I do think we take ourselves too seriously sometimes. Um, when it comes to negotiating, you have to be serious. But everything outside of that, dude, we take ourselves way too fucking seriously. Like the amount of drama and BS within the sports card world is <laughs> laughable. Like I, I compare the high end world to like high school girl drama. And the more you think about it, and the more you see people like talk and like handle things, it's really true. Um, bro, like this is sports cards. You didn't play with LeBron James. You don't know. Co you didn't know Kobe. You didn't know MJ. Like you're just some guy who has money who bought these cards. Like who the fuck are you? Like who cares? <laughs> like uh, someone's insulting that player. Cause they like their player more. Like, grow up. Who? It doesn't matter. Like, you're not defending their honor like you're just some guy um yeah. take yourself less seriously and you'll be much happier that's how i kind of look at things gotcha yeah i know i often uh, i've told Oz before i was like i always think of like someone who's outside of this world and and 
they would say, well, yeah, so like there's this dude, he's a mailman, right? And then he went up and he was selling cars and then he saw this dude as a jerk. And then he said, like, like if someone it's like if you're watching this, you're like, what, what, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, this happens all the time. Like, yeah, I think it would make a good reality show, though. All the junk yeah, that are out there. <laughs> thank you for defending LeBron James. He's going to send you a personal check now uh, for defending his honor. Like, <laughs> yeah. So lastly, talk to me about it's funny because you talked on, on this about this on your last show. Uh, NPB Bowman. What the hell is Oh, it? God. Oh, hello. Welcome to the cult. Dude, yeah. this is the stupidest timeline I've ever been in. My God. Um, so for anyone who – this is most people. For anyone who is not aware of what NPB Bowman is, that's the Japanese baseball league. Um, in 2021, they they partnered with Tops and made Tops Chrome Japanese baseball. And obviously no one was really aware of it. It, it sold pretty well in Japan. And it was cool. So like, oh, nice. We had a financial success here. Let's make Bowman. Um, so 2022 Bowman or Bowman came out for the Japanese Baseball League. And there's a lot of players now who are in the MLB or soon to be coming to the MLB in it. And fast forward to, I guess, May of 2023, when my friend tells me about it. Like, hey, you know, I have an opportunity to buy this. Um, it's like 45 bucks on StockX per box. And like, oh, look at these cards I was able to sell. And he was selling like paper Bowman of guys who no one on this podcast ever heard of outside of me i was like oh shit this is cool and like i gotta rip a bunch of boxes and like i can make money down the line awesome started buying it and then fast forward to um i talked about it first on the on soldier early right after the national and then it started to sell more which is funny and then fast forward now to i guess october november december and some of the players who are in that product are getting posted soon and one of them uh, Yamamoto is probably going to make, probably going to get a $300 million contract, according to MLB sources. And he's selling really, really hot. And it's gotten to the point now where uh, I've accidentally created a cult of NPB buyers who are just buying cards on StockX or buying boxes on StockX. And like we're all grading them and selling them and trading them. Dude, this is the stupidest time. I've become an influencer and I did not mean to do it. It's, it is hilarious <laughs> what is happening. Yeah, you're not. Oh, it's great. You yeah. know what? You, that that's something cool you want to be ahead of, though. You know what I mean? Like if you could, if you can find your little niche and, and and make a little, you know, get a little cult. What's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. It's it's it, it's just so stupid. I love it. <laughs> um, this is not this is not my intention. This is not my plan. Um, I guess now for anyone who listens to this podcast, um, what can I say correctly? Um, boxes on StockX for four pair is, I think, all in right now, 175 to 180 dollars, all in for four boxes, uh, with shipping and handling. So that's what 45 bucks all in, give or take, maybe up to 50 if you're paying a little bit higher. Um, there's certain players in that box set who are going to either be in the MLB or are in the MLB currently. Um, I'm not going to go into more detail just because I'm, 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 I'm trying to think like correctly about it. Um, choose your words wisely. Yeah, exactly. Hello, <laughs> welcome, welcome to the the pumping podcast. Um, <laughs> do research accordingly. Learn about the product. Um, don't buy shit just because you're hearing this idiot talk about it. Um, the only thing I will say, I guess, in pro of that is it's Bowman. Like ninety eight percent of the people will never make the MLB anyway. Who cares if it's American or Japanese? And one you could open for a third of the cost. That's 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 my that's my sales pitch. Which is yeah. the okay one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's definitely. I mean, on on the American side, I mean, how many guys, you know, one for every two hundred, you know, make it to 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 the MLB or or, or you collectors know. Are, are good you are good. Say. Yeah, they've been doing that for years, prospecting. You know what I mean? So, what's the difference? The, those guys are are demanding big money. I know the Phillies are out courting the one pitcher. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, 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 millions at this dude. You know, the scary thing is, too, about that, there's another pitcher in Japan named Roki Sasaki who could be better. Um, we'll see if he gets posted next year or in a couple of years. The dude could be better. And that's and that's why I started buying it, actually, too, because um, he had pitched the perfect game, I think, last year, 2022. He had, like, 19 strikeouts, 14 in a row. And then his next start, he had eight perfect innings, and they pulled him out. Um <laughs> The issue with him is more of like health. He's also like 22, 23. But 
like that was when I was like, oh, the way he's in this product, okay, like I'm I'm gonna go buy it. I, I, I like him, and then I fell ass backwards into Yamamoto, who was also in the product. Who, um, nice. nice, yeah, that's gonna make me some money, which is really funny. That's crazy. So uh, before I turn it over to Oz, uh, thanks for joining us. And I will say, you you and Kai, that that two, I think it's two thousands athletes of the two thousands name game uh, or whatever yeah. it is you guys play. That is a that's an endless eyes. We could probably do that with eighties and nineties. They just, they just name random dudes that played, you know, shout out enter and Rhea. Yeah, there you go. It's like the most <laughs> random guys. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> there you go. So go ahead. Oz. Yeah. Dave, thanks for showing up, man. This, this is pretty cool, man. So it's, it's always good. Like I said, to get behind the psyche of someone that's, that's in the grind and, and, what you provide to the hobby is something special. So I, I really want to commend you for what you do because you get us access to these cards that we otherwise wouldn't know. You know, people have them in their collections and, you know, or we just, you know, if we weren't going to the shows or, you know, really active in that way, we wouldn't have these cards in our view. So I want to, you know, thank you for that. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Continue with the podcast and uh, tell me anything else. Go ahead. Yeah. Drop the plugs, man. The, the Instagram handle, the podcast. Oh, yes, of course. Hey, hey, everyone. Make sure you listen to the Soul to Early Sports Card Podcast um, uh, on YouTube, uh, Spotify, and Apple Music. Uh, if you want to follow me and my cult of MPB, uh, hey, my Instagram is at Extraordinary Cards. Uh, somehow, someway, this is continuing to grow. We meet Thursdays at 5 p.m. Uh, don't drink the punch. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. So Thank you guys for having me on the podcast. That's 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 my that's my plug. That's it. How would somebody get in contact? The best way to get in contact with you if they're looking to move or looking to buy? Uh, at extraordinary cards. But uh, once again, make sure you uh, you take everything I say with a little bit of a grain of salt um, because you got to think critically on your own. Um, take my knowledge for what you will. Add it to your opinion, and whether you agree with me or not, if you're thinking critically, I think you've done more than the above average collector. Words to live by in this ever-changing card market. I want to thank Dave once again for coming on board and sharing some of the -the behind-the-scenes trade secrets of the flip game. Now, Tony and I both have dealt with Dave, so we highly recommend him if you're looking to buy or sell. For those of you still listening, we wanted to thank each and every one of you for the support over the years. You're our inspiration. It's because of you that we get on here to talk about the hobby that we all know and love. With that being said, if you like what you're hearing, give us a follow, rate, review, subscribe, and spread the cousin's gospel. And as always, keep focused, keep positive, and keep collecting. Hey, yo, Tone, bring the beat back. Thank you.